Hello again, everyone, and welcome to episode 32 of Three Point Podcast. I'm the baby boomer, Ted Fattel of Sportsnet Michigan and Z92.5 The Castle. Our millennial viewpoints will be coming from Jared Fattel of Fox 17 of Grand Rapids. And on the phone is our Gen Xer, Matt Burns of ESPN. Our sponsors tonight include Rivals Tap House and Grill, the Corona Connection, and our podcast recording home, Z92.5 The Castle. We'll also be checking in a little later with our crusty athletic supporter, Jack Strap. And tonight, uh, we'll recap our week, talk some football, and get into a whole bunch of stuff. But we're very excited about a special guest that's going to be joining us. Sports Emmy Award winner Ryan McGee of ESPN will be checking in, and uh, we'll get some of his thoughts in a variety of sports. We really appreciate all the support and comments we've been getting from our listeners that help us continue to grow and subscribe on Apple Podcast on your iPhone. And while you're there, rate and comment on our podcast page. You can also follow us on SoundCloud or tune in also. Whichever site you listen to, we really appreciate it. All right, guys. Well, uh, now's as good a time as any to get to our, our guest tonight. We, we have a treat for our listeners. He's an ESPN senior writer, but, but man, he's, he's really all over the place. He writes for ESPN.com. Uh, I see him down here in Charlotte when he fills in on the Paul Feinbaum show. I saw that he, he wrote and, well, contributed to Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s book, Racing to the Finish. Got a radio show with Marty Smith, Marty McGee. That's a Saturday mornings on ESPN Radio. And uh, you guys got a new new show coming that's going to be airing on the SEC Network, Marty and McGee talking season with all the football coaches from the SEC. Uh, Ryan, what what don't you do? <laughs> uh, well, listen, you know the deal, young man. If uh, you don't say no, say would you like to do so and so? The answer is always yes, because if you say no, then someone else might say yes, and then they won't call anymore. <laughs> so no, yes, sir. I'm, I'm really really fortunate that I get to I get to do a lot of different things, and um, and particularly getting to work with my buddy Marty, who's been a friend of mine for almost 20 years now. And uh, yeah, we're excited. We're we're going to be doing going to be doing a lot of TV this fall on SEC Network, and this talking season, these these coaches specials kind of kicked that off, and. Uh, we are as surprised as anyone that anyone would let us just sit there and talk. And, uh, you know, we, we managed to uh, break down barriers, and we're rednecks on ESPN, so we'll take whatever we can get. <laughs> Weren't you the original redneck at ESPN? Yeah, yeah, I was. In fact, I tell the story all the time. The reason I became the NASCAR guy, um, I started at ESPN right out of college as a production assistant uh, back in 1994. And I always tell Jeff Gordon that, I owe him everything because my first week on the job, he won the inaugural Brickyard 400. Wow. And suddenly NASCAR was cool in the building. And at ESPN, uh, 20, almost 25 years ago, there were only two Southerners in the entire company. It was me and Reese Davis. <laughs> really? Uh, he, he was from Alabama and I was from North Carolina. And when they found out I was from Rockingham, they were like, well, you know a lot about NASCAR, right? And I'm like, yeah. And I don't think I knew as much as they thought I did, but I knew way more than they did. So, uh, so it worked. So with NASCAR, as I don't really watch it that much, what's something that goes into like a NASCAR event or a race, like some nuances that I wouldn't notice just as a casual watcher? Well, it's just there's so much more to it. You know, you always just kind of roll your eyes when somebody says just go fast and turn left or whatever. But there, there's, it is. Um, you go to a race shop, and I think people assume that all the, the race headquarters, racing team headquarters here in the Charlotte area are like, you know, the barn in Days of Thunder. And the reality is is that they're clean rooms. I mean, they look like what you see when you're watching a documentary about NASA building satellites. And there are literally rocket scientists that work on these race cars. And so there's so much more to it than that. And plus, just the enormity of the event, you know, any – Regular old Sunday afternoon, you know, uh, Cup Series race, whether it's at Dover or Daytona or wherever, it feels like a gigantic college football game. I mean, there's Air Force flyovers, and there's thousands of people, and the logistics of how they pull it off, and, and the facilities are so big, even the small places. So that's what I – it's funny, like Bristol Motor Speedway, which is one of the smallest facilities you know, racetrack-wise that NASCAR runs on, you know, when they had the Virginia Tech-Tennessee game there just a couple of years ago, you know, it set the all-time attendance record for a college football game. And, and physically, that's one of the smallest facilities NASCAR runs on. So every event just feels giant. I always tell everybody, even if you don't care a thing about it, you should go just to get a sense of, of how big every single one of those races is. What do you think, Ryan, was the turning point in uh, NASCAR to become really – 
they're, it's one of the top four sports, I think. I think it's past NHL hockey in America. So it's it's one of those team sports where, you know, fans latch onto their favorite racer. Like you said, it's got the big uh, stadium atmosphere. What do you think was the one event maybe that put it into that echelon? Well, I think it was – I go back to when Jeff Gordon won the Brickyard 400. It was the first time that the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which is my single most favorite sporting venue in the world, when it finally hosted – a non-IndyCar race, when it hosted a stock car race, and there were 300,000 people there. And Jeff Gordon, who was born in Northern California and grew up in, in Indiana, and when he won, he's young and good-looking, and you know most of the guys looked like Dale Earnhardt, who was a friend of mine. But Dale Earnhardt was in his 40s and had a mustache and was redneck, and Jeff Gordon was none of that. And so I really felt like that was kind of the breakthrough because it introduced basically the whole left side of the country you know, into NASCAR. And so, yeah, that's when the boom started. And it stayed there. I mean, that, that sport grew at a, a breakneck speed for 20 years. And it's it's struggling a little bit now because I think that, you know, uh, we got a millennial on the line here, but millennials don't really care that much about cars. And, you know, my daughter I have, has babysitters, and I have college-age babysitters that I have to drive home because they just cars aren't a thing. And so uh, NASCAR struggles a little bit right now with what the future is going to look like, but there's no question to me that it really started uh, that summer of 1994 is, is when the boom time started. Speaking of millennials, one of the one of the maybe the future of NASCAR, maybe one of the guys that he recently won a race, Eric Jones. He's actually from uh, our neck of the woods where we yeah. grew up there in Corona. He's from a town right near Corona, so so that's kind of cool to have that local connection. But but I've seen him talk about uh, that he grew up racing all over the place. But there's a speedway, just a little dirt track in in our hometown. It's called the Wasso Speedway, the big yeah, where a lot of people go. You know, there's the the guys, the weekend warriors that take their cars out there and stuff like that. And, and it's cool to hear a guy like Eric Jones talk about Owasso Speedway and how that's kind of where he got his roots go- going. And, and you hear Tony Stewart, he still loves to race on tracks like that. What, what's different about racing on those hometown tracks, those dirt tracks, than racing at a place like Bristol Motor Speedway or, or MIS? Yeah, well, I tell people all the time, you know, it's like I'm, I'm a big minor league baseball guy. I, my, my next minor league ballpark will be my 100th minor league ballpark. I just love going, and that's the difference. You know, the difference is you're closer to it. It's homier. You're younger. You know, you kind of have that same mix on the field at a minor league baseball game that you have, you know, if you go to a Saturday night short track somewhere, which is you got the old guys like Crash Davis that are at the end of their career, and you got the young guys like Eric Jones just a couple of years ago that are teenagers you know, on, on the way up in their career. But it, it's the difference between going to a Detroit Tigers game and going to a Lansing Lugnuts game. You know, you, you, you feel like you're kind of in on something on the ground floor when you go to a short track. And, and I don't think people, people who are hardcore race fans know this, but I don't think people, just general sports fans, understand no matter where you are in the country, you're probably a pretty short drive away from a Saturday night summertime short track. And uh, that's where all these guys get started. I mean, listen, Chase Elliott, who just won his first Cup Series race, you know, the son of Bill Elliott, of course, the NASCAR legend, I've been watching Chase race since he was about 10 years old. And on, on the smallest tracks that you've never heard of, little dirt tracks around the Carolinas, and now, you know, he's a winner in the Cup Series. So that's, that's just like any other sport. It's just the difference is it's you don't play Pop Warner football if you're Jeff Gordon. You raise quarter midgets when you're eight or nine years old, which is what his kids are doing now. So here, here's a great question, Ryan. So you've worked with both, uh, according to your Wikipedia page, uh, big time <laughs> researcher here. But according to your Wikipedia page, you had uh, Paul Newman uh, narrated one of your documentaries, and as we know, you've worked on the Paul Feinbaum show. So which Paul do you like more? Uh, well, it, it, I think and I think that Paul Feinbaum would not argue with me about this, but Paul Newman's the coolest dude I've ever been in the room with in my life. <laughs> it, so we did. I worked at NASCAR Media Group, which I, I always describe it as NFL films with race cars. I worked there for a couple of years, and one of the big projects we worked on was a documentary film called titled Dale. And uh, and we, Paul Newman, owned an IndyCar team forever. Uh, you know, was famous for driving around. You know. The, the rich suburbs of Connecticut in a Volvo station wagon that he had like a Ford Cosworth IndyCar engine dropped into. And so he was a racing guy. He raced sports cars forever. And, of course, he starred in the movie Winning. I mean, he was a racing guy. And so when we went to Paul Newman, I approached him through his IndyCar team, 
and wanted to know if he would be interested. And he had been friends with Dale Earnhardt. And so he, he agreed to do it. And, in fact, for free, uh, the money that we had budgeted to pay Paul Newman or whoever the narrator would be, Paul Newman just wanted us to donate that to his Newman's own uh, uh, charities. So, yeah, that was that was an intimidating experience, I tell you that. But, uh, but it was awesome. It, it turned out to be his last kind of big feature film project. Wow. Well, I'll tell you, we're talking NASCAR, and I'll tell you what, this is the most we've ever talked about it. <laughs> I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, and, and, and I have some more interest about it, too. Yeah, well, good. Well, then I've done my job. Absolutely. I agree, and, and it, maybe it's bad, but the only thing I know, I, I know about Paul Newman, he's, you know, how much people respect him as a NASCAR driver, but to be honest, the thing that I know him most for is just, I think he voiced, like, a car <laughs> on the in, in a Pixar movie. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's funny, too, so I went out to Pixar, uh, he was in Cars, the original Cars movie, and I was out at Pixar uh, before Cars 3 came out in theaters a year ago, mm-hmm. and I was arguing with those guys because they claim that they were the last feature film that Paul Newman worked on. And I told them, I said, nope. I said, our documentary we did was the last one he worked on. And so we, we were having a fun debate about that. Speaking of movies, where do you rank Talladega Nights? Oh, I love it. You know, and it's funny, too, because so people, people in the NASCAR world get so oversensitive about how they're portrayed on the silver screen. Uh-huh. And I mentioned the barn in Days of Thunder. You know, legend has it, it's not a legend, it's a fact, when they had the big premiere of Days of Thunder in Charlotte in 1990, people got it walked out as soon as the movie started because one of the first scenes in the movie was this barn and, and the, the, the font, the, the graphic that came up said Charlotte, North Carolina, and those guys were in there working on a race car. And they, the NASCAR people were so offended by that. Well, with the Talladega Nights premiere in the 90s, I was working at NASCAR Media Group, and I was in a theater that was full of nothing but NASCAR employees, including the president of NASCAR, Mike Helton, who was a notoriously stone-faced guy. And he was sitting in the middle, a huge dude. He was sitting in the middle of the theater. And my wife and I are just dying, cracking up, watching this movie. And no one else would laugh because they were all afraid they would offend Mike Helton. And then finally, Mike Helton busted out laughing when it got to the part where Ricky Bobby's wife announces, she goes, I do not work. You know, I'm a race car driver's wife. That's such an inside joke, you know, but it's so true. But, yeah, I, I like it. I, I got I got no problem with uh, – but some of the people in the sport get a little sensitive about how they're portrayed, but I think it's awesome. Yeah, well, obviously a parody, and, and then you got to thicken up that skin just a little bit, right? Yeah, and it, 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 it's funny. How, well, it's like the program, right, the college football film. Right. That, uh, that, that came out around the same time Days of Thunder came out. People in college football are just so deeply offended. I'm like, guys. I mean, th- this is a movie with James Caan. It's basically a cartoon. Just, just you know, enjoy it and be glad that the sport's getting a little attention. Well, Ryan, you talked about uh, the size of some of these NASCAR stadiums or the, the tracks, and, and uh, Jared, a couple weeks ago, he went to a country festival at MIS in Michigan, Faster Horses. I don't know if you've yeah. heard of that. Yeah, and we were talking about it on one of the, the last podcasts, and he was talking about how just – how big the stadium was and everything like that. And I, I grew up going to MIS back when back when the capacity was 125,000. Yeah. That's all I was telling them, that the, the grandstands used to go basically around that whole two-mile track. I, I, I don't know. How, why have things changed? Is it, is it just that millennials aren't into the, the racing, or do you think it's that you know people are following NFL and NBA more? Well, it's a lot of things. And, you know, Marty and I kind of half-joke that we'd like to do a 30 for 30, like what happened to motorsports. And um, and it's not just NASCAR. It's Formula One. It's everything's taking a dip. But I think that there's a lot of reasons. I mean, listen, the, when the economic crash happened in 2008, um, no sport was hurt worse than NASCAR. And the reason is because, as you guys know, it's a sponsorship-based, you know, financial system, yeah. just how the whole thing is built. And so it was exposed a little bit. You know, companies said, why are we spending $20 million to sponsor a race car? Are we really getting a return on investment? So that happened. You know, there are also racetracks and and race teams. They created a generation of salespeople that didn't have to really sell. They didn't know how to sell because the phone just rang all day. They just took orders. And so when the phone quit ringing, they didn't really know how to go out and drum up business and how to raise funds. And so I think that was part of it, too. And and I, I really believe, too, you know, I know people bang on millennials all the time, but the reality is if, if a movie is longer than two and a half hours, people just flip out. This is too long. I'm in here to this is crazy. What are we doing? And every single race weekend lasts three, sometimes four days. 
and every single cup race lasts four hours. You know, everything in the season starts in the middle of February, and it, it starts at Valentine's, and it ends at Thanksgiving. Everything's too long. You know, and, and, and one thing we do know about uh, millennials, and, and I think this applies to me too, is that you, you, I, you can't sit through but so much. And so attention spans just aren't what they are. So it's a, it's a really complicated um, equation, but, but the reality is that, you know, they need to look at doing some things, and they've just got to be gutsy enough to, to take some big swings. I got one more two-part question here in race. And number one, on the topic you just talked about, are they kind of in the same boat as Major League Baseball where they need to develop more personalities, more electricity with the drivers themselves? How do you see that? And then my follow-up question is, uh, I understand that you had an interesting flight in 2009 with Richard Petty from the Coca-Cola 600 to the Indy 500 and back. Talk, Talk a little bit about that. Well, I asked the first part first, which is, um, yeah, I think that they're absolutely, and like baseball, the personalities are there. It's just a matter of letting those guys be themselves. There's players that rub guys the wrong way with bat flips and funky rooster haircuts and all this other stuff. But the reality is, uh, I think they could go a long way with young people. Listen, my daughter uh, grew up and was born and raised and has lived in the Carolinas her whole life, loves Mike Trout. I mean, loves him. And she loves him because we went and saw him play one time when she was a little girl. Baseball should do a better job of promoting that guy. You know, baseball should do a better job of promoting their new you know, home run derby champion. I mean, those, those guys need to be promoted. And, listen, NASCAR is the same way. There are so many – listen, Jimmy Johnson is the, is the all-time greatest example of this. Jimmy Johnson is the least boring person that I know. He's a wild man. And no one knows that. And the reason is because you know, he, he's just kind of whitewashed, whether it's sponsors or whether it's NASCAR itself or whether it's Hendrick Motorsports or whatever. They've never really been, let him be publicly the person that I know he is privately. And he's, a, he's, he's one of the finest people I know. He's a great father. But he also is a freaking wild man. And that should be out there a little bit. You know, Chase Elliott, same way. But no one would know that at home because by the time he goes through all the filters, sponsors and whoever – he comes off as boring. So, yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. 2009 with Richard Petty, that was might have been the most fun I've ever had at work in my life. They There was STP was sponsoring a car with Richard Petty's 43 on it and the Petty Blue. John Andretti, uh, who had driven for Richard Petty in NASCAR, he was driving the car. This was in the Indy 500. And, of course, Richard Petty owns his 43 car, famous 43 car in NASCAR. And we did the double. We met at the Charlotte Motor Speedway uh, at dawn. Uh, the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend, and we flew uh, to Indianapolis, landed at the, at the racetrack, or excuse me, landed at the airport, got on a helicopter, flew in a helicopter, landed on the back stretch. There's a golf course there at, at IMS, and we landed, and there were golf carts waiting to take us in. And yeah, we went in and stayed for, we stayed halfway through the race and got back on the helicopter and went back to Charlotte. So I got to hang out with Richard Petty all day. I was a huge fan growing up, but the story I always tell is we landed at the Speedway. And there's two golf carts. And, and the king looks at me and he goes, well, you need to get your credentials so you can get into the garage. I go, right. <laughs> he goes, all right. He said, that golf cart will take you to the credential office. I go, great. And then he takes his finger and he points directly into his own face. And he goes, I have my credentials with me. <laughs> so I don't need to go to the credential office. And he jumped on his golf cart and took off the other way. So, yeah. That was the the king was my guy when I was a kid, and so uh, to have to to have a, a friendship with him now is one of the most surreal experiences, as you guys can imagine. Yeah, the all time legend, without a doubt. Yeah, that that is really cool. I mean, growing up going to the races, the king and Dale Earnhardt were that that was who my dad. That's all he talked about. I was one of the ones that hopped on the Jeff Gordon bandwagon. I was, I was a Rainbow Warrior when he started winning. So, so those are definitely some cool stories. While, while we got you on the horn, though, I've got to ask you about something. So you were talking about Marty Smith and the radio show and everything, and, and I think there's a reason why you guys are getting more airtime and everything because it's really good. You're, the radio show is awesome, the podcast, everything. I, I, I love listening to you guys. But I've got to ask you about something, the hillbilly headlines and the hillbillyisms yeah. and all that. So, yeah. I mean, we're from Michigan. You go to northern Michigan, you, you get to some – there's some hillbilly areas. There's some redneck oh, yeah. areas. It, it's not necessarily the south. I mean, we, we say all the time that uh, – um, I, I always tell the story. When I moved to Connecticut, I moved to Bristol, Connecticut, right out of college. And I remember calling my father 
as I was driving around in like Southington or Farmington or one of those towns there in, in Connecticut, I called my dad and I go, "Man, there are rednecks everywhere," <laughs> and, and it was and it's a fact. And, and when we do hillbilly headlines on Saturday mornings, uh, you know, there's no question that the state of Florida dominates the hillbilly headlines, and no one should be surprised by that. But Florida is this quilt work of people from all over the country. You know, the, no one's from Florida. They moved to Florida from New England from the Midwest, from Arizona, from everywhere. But what we have learned is there are hillbillies and rednecks everywhere. We've had hillbilly headlines from Brazil, from Germany. We had a guy in Australia the other day that burned down his entire neighborhood because he was trying to kill like a squirrel with a blowtorch. I mean, these are the things that, that we, you know, we, we get them from all over the world. So it's, uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. We have learned, we educate the world uh, on that fact that there are hillbillies everywhere. Well, I know you're running short on time, and, man, do we appreciate the time you've given us. But i got another follow-up question in a different sport, if you don't mind, Ryan. Sure. I know your second book was The Road to Omaha, Hits, Hopes, and History of the College World Series. I happened to catch you just by accident. It was a rain delay this year, and there was a documentary about the 1996 championship game between LSU and Miami. Now, can you paint the picture of that uh, natural moment, if you will, uh, of that final World Series game? Yeah, I mean, listen, it was the greatest moment in the history of the College World Series, and it will always be the greatest moment in the history of the College World Series. And a guy named Warren Morris, who was a local kid from Louisiana, uh, was a great high school ball player but got no scholarship offers, walked on at LSU, uh, backed up Todd Walker, who I work with now at SEC Network, and Todd, of course, played in the big leagues forever, one of the greatest hitters in the history of college baseball. And poor Warren finally was going to be the second baseman, and he broke his hand. Uh, at the start of the year and missed the entire season and then came back just in time for the College World Series and was terrible. He was awful. <laughs> and Miami at this time, this was a roster that was just packed with future big leaguers. And LSU was really good. And this was kind of the showdown to figure out who was going to be you know, the team of the decade of the 90s. And poor Warren Morris ends up at the plate with two outs in the bottom of the last inning and his poor mother was sitting in Alexandria, Louisiana, with her head in her hands going, oh, my God, this is how my son's career is going to end, is striking out at the end of the College World Series <laughs> with a hurt hand. And, uh, and, and Warren always says, I talked to him just a couple months ago, he always says that he felt terrible all year, and the first time he felt good in the batting cage was that morning. And he got a pitch he could drive, and he just kind of flicked it. Uh, over the corner in the right-hand side of the fence at Rosenblatt Stadium, which was, I said Indianapolis is my favorite sporting venue in the world. And uh, the only reason I didn't say Rosenblatt is because Rosenblatt's gone. But uh, what a great place and what a great moment. And, uh, yeah, I always know when it's raining at the College World Series because uh, my phone starts blowing up and it's my <laughs> friends because every time it rains, what they use for rain fill is to show the Warren Morris documentary. Which you were a part of. <laughs> Even if I'm not watching, I know it's raining in Omaha when my friends are going, hey, you're on TV talking about Warren Morris. That's awesome, man. And I, I know, I mean, working here, rain delays during college baseball, that's something that, uh, that I've come to. There's a love-hate relationship with rain yeah, delays. Yeah, well, during... in Omaha, and listen, and, and the College World Series is it's so incredible and it's so amazing to go cover. But uh, you're there for two weeks. And, you know, late afternoon thunderstorms, I don't have to tell you guys, you know, especially in the Midwest, it's just it's every afternoon. And so those two-day two games, in or two-game days in particular, you're almost always going to hit it. But, yeah, my friends that all worked in the press box, Kyle Peterson and those guys, they always say by the end of the College World Series they hate my guts because they've only <laughs> done like two or three documentaries about college baseball, and I'm in all of them. So, uh, so anytime they <laughs> – and they play them in the stadium. So anytime they said everybody's raining, everybody know why hates me by the end of the two weeks because they're tired of looking at me. So I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about, I think, what we're all just kind of waiting for to start, which is college football season. Yeah. And kind of the big, the big headline uh, this week has been the whole Urban Meyer uh, scenario. So how do you see that playing out? Do you think he'll be able to keep his job, or do you think that he's going to be gone before the season well, starts? Well, my initial reaction was that he's going to be gone. Mm -hmm. um, but but as the, the, the longer this thing has stretched on, uh, the more I've realized he's going to be back. Um, and, and once, the, once the, the investigation committee announced very specifically, 
we have 14 days to do our investigation, which is just weird. Yeah, why do you think they did that? I, well, I just think they know they've got to do whatever they're going to do before the season starts. Okay. And so if you go on and put a deadline on it, uh, then, you know, I, I don't know. It, but, but just it, it all – it was a week ago when they started all – that Friday after the news broke that my, our buddy Brevin Murphy wrote out there. And, and you know, once, once that Friday afternoon, right at 5 o'clock when everyone's getting off of work, right when that hit, that – Oh, and by the way, the AD knew too. That's when I realized, okay, this is this is a coordinated effort. You know, this is they're rolling over on the athletic director now, and they're going to do what they can to save Urban Meyer. It, listen, you guys know this. In the end, follow the money. Yeah. yeah. And and if the two biggest boosters at Ohio State are the guy that owns Bed Bath and Beyond, a Victoria's Secret, who's a billionaire, and then Jimmy Haslam that owns the Cleveland Browns, and if those two guys call and say he's got to go he's gone but if those two guys call and say you know what we really probably need to keep him around then they put their lawyers on and they figure something out so you know follow the money on those deals he might not coach the first few weeks but by the time we hit october and the games really start mattering i got a pretty good feeling that that urban meyer's gonna go on the sideline so in that same regard, so let me ask you this. This is something I'm I'm honestly not sure how I feel about. Do you think it's the coach's job to sort of act as like a moral compass for like the entire university, or do you think it's just his job to you know coach his players? And well, I think you're the CEO of a multi-million dollar corporation, mm-hmm. and, and I think that if you were the CEO at IBM or the CEO at Geico or the CEO at wherever, uh, if you were the CEO of your local home security system company on the corner. You know, it's your responsibility what the people underneath you do. It is. And and, and if you're going to be – you know, I say this all the time. I, I'm, I'm t- talking about race car drivers. I, I've had this conversation with, with drivers before, which is they complain because their divorce is in the paper, or they complain because people are asking about the things. And I'm like, listen, you can't take the big paycheck, and you can't star in TV commercials, and you can't be on billboards and then get your feelings hurt if the public wants to hold you to a higher standard. And, and if you're the CEO of, of, of a multi one, one of the state of Ohio's biggest corporations is Ohio State football. And if you're the CEO of that, and that's what Urban Meyer is, and, and oh, by the way, you also have kind of put yourself out there over the years as the moral compass, which he has done, then, um, then you know, you, you have to be prepared to – uh, take the darts when the time comes, and uh, and and I don't I don't believe that he is. I have one final football question for you, and uh, we'll get ready to let you go. Uh, your alma mater, you went to Tennessee, right? Yeah. W- what do you think about the whole Shiano situation and where they stand now? Well, I think that the Tennessee fan base did not distinguish itself. Um, I think that, and, and these are my people. I mean, listen, I'm an alum. Uh, I'm married into it. I married a Knoxville girl. Uh, between my roommates and my in-laws, uh, every time I speak out on this, uh, I get nasty personal text messages. <laughs> but the reality is that um, the fan base, has they have a reputation now. They just do. And um, it's not everybody, but it certainly were the people that were making the most noise. And, you know, it was everything short of grabbing pitchforks and tar and feathering somebody. It just was. And, and it was um, it was the kind of thing that they weren't doing in Knoxville not that long ago, and now it seems pretty routine. So I like Shiano fine. I don't know if he was the right hire or not. Uh, I think the athletic director was doomed regardless. But um, but ten- the Tennessee fan base did not do himself any favors and, 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 and still won't let it go. Like even now with the Urban Meyer thing, you know, uh, almost immediately uh, there was a group of very loud Tennessee fans that were turning this into, well, Shiano's one of his guys, so we just, you know, he probably knew about this too. It's like, just let it go. you got a new head coach, just – just move on, but they just kind of, they kind of crave the soap opera in Knoxville, and um, and sometimes you're just willing to create one even when there wasn't one. Well, I know you're on the clock, Ryan. It's just an outstanding appearance. We really appreciate it, Matt. You got anything else you want to add? No, man. Just uh, appreciate you taking the time out. I know you got a busy schedule, so so yeah, we definitely appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate everything you do, and I will see you down at the office. <laughs> well, boys, that was awesome, Ryan McGee. Uh, a great uh, 25 minutes or so. We're definitely going to book him on the show again for sure. That was fun. 
The guy knows oh, was, a lot. It was a ton of fun. I, I was I was impressed, Jared. You brought up some uh, some NASCAR questions. I've always wanted to go to a NASCAR race. I don't know about you guys, but absolutely. It just kind of it, it reminded me, and I feel like I'm still kind of living in the faster horses, you know, uh, hangover a little bit. It kind of it would seems like it would just remind me of a faster horse. Well, you know, Amy Amy lives in Indy. Why not? Let's do a let's do a road trip and do the Brickyard sometime down there at Indy. Sounds good. That works cool. for me. Sound yeah, like... now that you know the lay of the land at MIS, I mean, you could go, go to That's the true. infield at a NASCAR race, and you you know where everywhere everywhere to go down there now. Getting, I... getting that traffic jam, yeah. getting in. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to think I would know, but I feel like it's a completely different crowd is what I feel <laughs> yeah. like it would be. So I'd be thrown for a loop. Well, let's tell our listeners about one of our sponsors, the Corona Connection. That's a direct mail newspaper sent to all of Corona Vernon and Shiawassee County parts of Lennon. Pick up a copy of the latest edition at many Corona businesses and Kroger and like them on Facebook. You can also view the entire Corona Connection paper online every month, both on Facebook and at coronaconnection.com. we got football coming up, and at uh, the NFL, we're recording this on Thursday night, the 9th of August. Uh, I think there's a dozen NFL preseason games underway tonight. I was going to say, I'm looking up at the TV right now with Browns Giants with uh, Baker Mayfield making his, his big debut. So I know we talked about preseason football before, but I don't, I don't know. I, it's tough for me to get really into preseason football. I, I do like seeing it, but it's not, it's not the real roster that's going to be out there You know, once the season starts. I can't get into all the other teams. I will watch the Lions religiously. I won't miss any of their preseason games. But I, when I get home tonight, I actually set the DVR. I wanted to kind of see uh, Barkley and uh, Mayfield, especially after watching Hard Knocks. You guys, did all three of you guys see Hard Knocks? Do you? Ha- so you have HBO? Yeah. Oh, I've been trying to convince my dad to get on the HBO train. Oh boy. Well, it's the thing is we don't have it this year because Game of Thrones is taking a year off, and right. he's a you know big Game of Thrones nerd or whatever. So we're without it right now. And not only is that out, but have you ever seen the show Ballers on I, HBO? I, I've, that's the one with The Rock? Yeah. I have not. So that's, um, that's like, really what I'm missing out. That and Hard Knocks, they come on uh, Tuesday night's yeah, Hard Tuesday Knocks. Yeah, Tuesday night Hard Knocks, and then Sunday night is Ballers. But the Ballers remind me, so did you guys see the new NCAA rule that like that came out today? Or was yeah. it yesterday? But the agents are going to be allowed? Uh, yeah. As long as they're confirmed uh, through, like, the NCAA. And, it, and just... That reminded me of Ballers because that's a big plot line. Okay. In, uh, so Dwayne the Rock Johnson, uh, Spencer Strassmore is his name. <laughs> big like the whole storyline to season two is like he's trying to get certified by the NFL. Like without it, basically an agent is never going to do anything. Yeah. yeah. So that just reminded me of that. But what did you guys think of the NCAA rules that they changed? Uh I, I mean, uh, it's a step in the right direction. That's that's how I look at it right at the moment. What they what they've done is. If the guy doesn't go to the NBA, he can go back to college, right? Yeah, if he no, that part of it. If he doesn't get drafted, if he doesn't get drafted, okay. And then because like right now, it's like if you if you hire an agent to go to the NBA, you can't go back to college. So that's that's one of the changes. Yeah, and then aren't they allowing agents to sign high school kids? Yeah, I, honestly, I didn't read all the details. That is one thing I saw that you can get. Uh, I forget the exact wording, sponsorship or, or something like that. Not necessarily an agent, but you can get one all the way down here to high school. Yeah, and but the, the thing that they, they kind of buried the lead, it's not until the one-and-done rule was over with. Right. So, I mean, we still got, you know, three years probably before this is even enacted. So that's why Calipari was saying, hey, calm down, everybody. It's not going to happen for three, four and, years, And right? I was listening to, yeah, and I was listening to, uh, so Johnny Menzel, his agent, you know, I, I listened to his podcast, and, you know, I, I had to listen this week after his terrible performance last week. That just broke my heart. Oh. But he, he was saying that the, it basically nothing changes. The The agents aren't going to be able to get you money. They're really not going to be able to do anything other than, like, advise you. They're basically advisors, and now they can buy you They can buy you a steak. Uh, before right. They, it, it's just a joke, you know. They just need – and I, th- I heard this on Mike and Mike this morning. Uh, they just need to – I think everyone agrees just let them earn money off their likeliness. Yeah, and, and similar to that, I, I definitely agree with you. And similar to you you're saying that's a joke, another joke that kind of happened this year was, I don't know if you guys saw, or this week, I don't know if you guys saw the stuff that happened with the North Carolina yeah. players. Awesome. Oh, yeah, selling I mean, their they, shoes? So they're a Jordan, North Carolina, a Jordan brand-sponsored school, so you know that they're getting, just like Michigan is, just like any school, really, that's sponsored by anyone, Nike, Adidas, whatever. They're getting a bunch of swag. They're getting a bunch of shoes, you know, sweats, whatever, hoodies, and especially that Jordan stuff. I mean, that's that's a hot commodity. I mean, that's 
every everyone wants to wear Jordans, especially growing up and, and athletes and stuff like that. And it's crazy to me that you can say that you're giving these players uh, these shoes, hats, you know, whatever, duffel bags, hood, hoodies, whatever it is, but they're not allowed to give it out as gifts or, or even sell it. So basically, you're you're not really giving it to them. It's almost like it's on loan or something. Like you're, it, it's just really strange to me that you can give these players this stuff, but not tell them like it, you're free to do whatever what you want with it. Yeah, it's a little bit of a slippery slope. I mean, I I hear exactly what you're saying, but it still seems to me if they're getting all that swag and it's supposed to go to them, for them just to turn right around and sell it, that does seem a little shady to me. Well, and that's that's one thing I did see some people saying. I, I mean, there there obviously is the two sides of the coin to that. And and one thing is a lot of this stuff, especially the stuff that the Michigan basketball players are getting, the stuff that the North Carolina football and and basketball players are getting. That's like uh, one of a kind things. Like that's not the stuff that they just sell, you know, at finish line or at Foot Locker or right. whatever. That's stuff that's specifically for those athletes. So I mean, really, that that stuff that. You could you could almost charge whatever you want for that, and kids could be making thousands of dollars off a pair of shoes or a pair of cleats. Um, so I do see that, but it, it's just really strange to me to think that you know they they're going to school there, they're making the school a ton of money, they're making the conference a ton of money, and you're giving them these shoes, but you you know it's almost like you're giving them them shoes with with a bunch of footnotes saying you know you can't yeah. give them as gifts or you can't make a little money off of them. Yeah, I think the solution we've all agreed to it. There needs to be some money handed out. Isn't that? Don't we agree on that? Yeah, hundred percent. I think so. I think the easiest thing is like with with the likeness of their name, so like autographs or yeah. video games and stuff like that. If a kid, you know, speaking of Johnny Menzel, when he was going through his Heisman run and everything like that, if he could have went and done an autograph signing and, and made a couple thousand dollars because people are watching Texas A&M football because of Johnny Menzel, I really do not see any problem with that. Yeah, I think that's a, a pretty simple solution and something that really the NCAA could monitor that somewhat, and it, it, it probably wouldn't get out of control, I wouldn't think. I mean, everything does when there's money involved, but I think they could police it a little bit. What I don't understand about the whole North Carolina situation is why don't they just let those players – like, why don't they offer them, like, a trade-in? You know, if you don't want these shoes – We'll sell, we'll, we'll, we'll sell them to us for, like, you know, a oh, certain that's amount a, of money. That's not a bad uh, solution. Maybe that would be allowed. But this just shows you how, like, not serious the NCAA is. Because did you see how they suspended the players? They suspended, like, them some of them for four games. Like, there was, I think it was 12 to 14 different guys. Right. But they, like, staggered their suspensions. Like, that just shows you. Well, they they got to they got to field a team, don't they? Otherwise, you're just gonna have forfeits. You're gonna have start the season with uh, four losses and forfeit and and cost the the opponents they want to they want to play against you. I mean, don't I think that's a fair way to do it if you're gonna suspend the players. Well, to I stagger. All, it. I mean, I get that, but I think we all agree they shouldn't. They sh- like nothing was really wrong with what they did. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so. And I did think it was strange that I think it ended up being 13 players. And, yeah, some were one game, some were two, some were three. I think the max was four. Um, I, I'm sure it's because they were selling, you know, more stuff or something like that. But it definitely, with any of this stuff, it seems like the NCAA is just making it up as they go. Like, there's no real guidelines or anything like that. You know, whether it comes to a big scandal like with Penn State or Baylor or the Michigan State stuff, um, everything seems to be different. Or even with this, like, they just make it up as they go. There's no guidelines, and it, it just seems like a joke. And even Jay, Jay Billis came out with this new rule, and he said he had a line something like, there's as many holes in this stuff as Swiss cheese. So, <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. I, I do have confidence in Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA. I think the biggest thing is to get that one-and-done rule done gone. I mean, these kids, if they're good enough to go to the pros as coming out of high school, then they should be free to do that. Yeah. And speaking of the NBA, did you check the, check the uh, Christmas schedule that just came out? Heck, yeah. Pretty sweet. Lakers and Warriors, OKC, Houston, 76ers, Celtics. I mean, that's a that's a killer schedule on I the NBA's it. big day. It's a killer schedule, and, I mean, that's one of the, the big days for the NBA. And I, was, I, I honestly thought that they'd go – Warriors Rockets to get that you know Western Conference Finals preview right probably and I, I thought that they might go uh, Lakers Celtics to try and get that you know the Lakers Celtics rivalry you got mm-hmm. Kyrie and LeBron but Lakers Warriors that's a cool game oh that's a, that's must watch TV right there yep now now this is some big news in my world uh, <laughs> and and it should and I think it'll soon if it does go through I think it'll be big news in everybody's world but. Did you guys see the Buffalo Wild Wings might be putting in yes, uh, I did. sports books in their restaurants and also yeah. self-serving beer wells? Wow. What a restaurant that would be. 
self-serving. I, I was going to bring that up. I, I knew you had you had to have seen that. <laughs> For, but the only thing I will say, but, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on this as well, Buffalo Wild Wings might be the most overrated and ex, oh, like expensive restaurant I've ever gone to. I, I I agree with you on that. I mean, the food it's okay. eh, it's okay. It's you know, it, yeah, it's overrated though. I think I, it's more the atmosphere of what you go in there, you know, and it's decent looking uh, waitresses and you got the big TVs. I mean, that's the atmosphere for jocks, right? Isn't it? That's what I was going to say. The atmosphere, you know, if you want to go watch a game, you you know that they're going to have it, or even pay per view events. You know, they have the UFC fights or boxing matches. That the food is a little overrated. I like their sauces, though. I do think their sauces are good. What's your go-to? Mine's probably Asian zing. If I had to pick, I do one. like the Asian zing, garlic parm, but I, I usually stick with like the mild and medium. Not to stroke our our uh, sponsor rivals, but they have pretty damn good yeah. uh, chicken wings themselves there. To tell you the truth, I, that's my go-to when I go in there. And it's not going to charge you an arm and a leg to go to rivals. No, absolutely like not. Absolutely not. Hey, I want to go back to Hard Knocks for just one second. Can I do that? Hunter, well, wait, I love the let me. I, I got to ask a follow up to that. So, Jared, just real quick, you talked about Buffalo Wild Wings. So, so if they pass all that, if you can go to a B Dubs and and gamble on some sports and, mm-hmm. and serve yourself your own beer and stuff like that, would you go? Like, would you start going to Buffalo Wild Wings if, every Saturday? Like, would that be intriguing to you? If they were the only place, if they if they were the only place that had that sport book and like the restaurant type way, I. Feel, Hundred percent, I would go. I think that that would just make the atmosphere. Oh, it'd be just incredible. Yeah. As much as I, I'm not trying to be like I'm, you know, like an older, wiser person or something like that. Because yeah. I do think I would, I would go to a B Dubs. But I think about like in East Lansing, there's one right downtown East Lansing, right, right amongst all the college bars and stuff like that. I, I feel like, man, there would be some college kids getting themselves into trouble when, <laughs> when those uh, financial aid checks kick in and they can just walk over yeah. to, to B-dubs and play some bets on some football games or something like that. It, it could be uh, setting some kids up for, for some bad news. And uh, and it would just be cool to see, you know, a, the B-dubs in East Lansing, you know, and Michigan's playing Michigan and State, just to see how the line – like, they probably wouldn't set the line, would they? Or they wouldn't Who, B-dubs? Change. Yeah. Like, no, no. Okay. So, but it would just be interesting to see like all the bets that would be placed on Michigan State at one that's in East Lansing compared to the, you know that would that would definitely increase that's a Darren the interest. Ravel tweet. That yeah. would be awesome. I, I don't understand the part about the pour yourself beer though. How how's that work? Do you buy a, a you buy you spend twenty bucks and get all you can drink or how how's it work? I'm guessing that they would probably have some sort of technology that every time you fill it up, you know, it charge you for a beer. I just think it'd be so okay. easy to. I mean, maybe it's just me. I hate. Just waiters, just I hate the whole interaction. <laughs> call me like a millennial or whatever. Just get me out of that interaction. Give me the Culver's setup where you know they just bring the food over, okay. where you can go get your own drinks. Am I Matt? Is that just kind of the millennial in me, Matt? Or uh, I, I, I can definitely feel that. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, going to the ATM, I would much rather prefer to do all my deposits, you know, whatever kind of banking I can do at an ATM than, than going to a teller and waiting in line and having to fill out all the forms and stuff. So I can definitely appreciate that. But yeah. I, I was going to say, too, that there are a lot of bars already with the self-service uh, bartenders, basically. It, it's basically like a vending machine that you swipe your ID, obviously, uh, and you, you pick your beer. You know, like those uh, those fountain things that are at, like, yeah. restaurants now with all the Coke products and That's stuff awesome. like that. It's pretty similar to that. Uh, Is it like a vending machine where you throw your money in it or your plastic? I mean, essentially, yeah, vending machine, and you you pick what beer you want, what drink you want, and it, it even has like mixology on it, so you can get mixed drinks and stuff like that. That's so incredible. basically, it's just a way for them to cut out jobs. Is what it comes yeah, down to. That's and, what I was going to say. And uh, the people that complain about not getting served fast enough, you can just go to this vending machine. Well, have, you, have you guys ever seen the movie Cocktail? With it's Tom been a Cruise? long time where he's flipping the flipping the stuff behind the bar. That, I saw that movie. First off, horrible movie. Yeah. Wow. Right. But I've. Being a bartender, wow, that would be an incredible job. I would love that. <laughs> Got to start as a bar back first. Yeah. Have you seen that, Matt? Cocktail. I haven't seen it. It's a great, it's a. It's an it's 80s a, movie, I think. Yeah. If I ever, there's ever been a man that's like more handsome than Tam, Tom Cruise in that movie, I don't think there is one. I think he's <laughs> he's just that good looking. Still holding movie. up pretty good for an old guy even, really, yeah. when you think about it. Now, can I get back to Hard Knocks for one yes, second? I forgot that. You were a religious viewer of that show, right? Yes. Up until this Up until season. So far, I haven't had a chance. Was it ever? Was it edited or was it unedited? I'm talking about f bombs and everything else. It's on. It's HBO, baby. Well, uh, guess what? It's this first episode was edited for Jarvis Landry's. Jarvis bagel. Landry went off, and they they bleeped everything he said that was off color. 
And I thought the same thing. HBO, I thought for a minute, maybe this is the no fun league again stepping in mm-hmm. and saying you got to edit that out. I think it's part no no fun league. It, it probably is. Maybe he was seeing some stuff that they really don't want to see. But I mean, HBO they they do have some guidelines. There are still like some FCC guidelines that they have to follow. So maybe it was that too. Also, uh, back to college football. Another another topic. What's going on at Michigan with some of these uh, starting players leaving, or some some of these big time players like McDoom and Wheatley saying see you later? Is it are they tired of Harbaugh? Did they get beat out? What's what's your takes on it? I, don't, I really think it's mostly the, the depth chart. I think uh, there's there's a lot of talent, actually. Michigan has a ton of talent at the skill skill positions. Uh, and I, I think it's just they're, they're seeing the writing on the wall that the young kids are stepping up and they might not be getting the playing time that they want. And really it's one of those things, too, like people are they're quick to jump on something that might be negative for Michigan, especially if it might be a knock on Harbaugh. You know, you see some of these guys transferring, and it's like, oh, man, what's going on in Ann Arbor? McDoom and Wheatley, they, they really, in the big picture, they weren't big contributors. So it's not really a big loss. I mean, if, if it was like Shea Patterson all of a sudden was going to quit, then, yeah, you might wonder. But, yeah. you know, I, I, saw, I saw a statistic that by year three or four of a recruiting class, Anywhere between 20 and 25% of the class usually does transfer out. And right now that class that those guys were in, we're at 27%. So, I mean, it's a little little above the average, but it's not, like, abnormal. You know, and we talked with uh, Ryan about Urban Meyer, and I I had a week to think about it, and I know Jared had the comment last week that you didn't want to see him go. You want to beat his ass, right? Yeah, 100%. I'm with you, and I think he's keeping his job. And as, as we were talking about with Ryan, Gene Smith, you haven't heard anything from him recently at all. He's been tight-lipped. You know, Jared, you you asked the question to Ryan, and we've talked about the the 14-day deadline or whatever that they gave themselves, and I saw that the the independent investigators haven't even talked to Zach Smith yet, the coach who did all this stuff yet. How do you not? How is he, he not the first person that you go to, I feel like? Yeah, that's pretty shaky right there. Yeah. So I asked this to Ryan, and you guys, and I want to hear your guys' thoughts as well. Like, do you think it's the coach's job to sort of act as, you know, this is how I phrased it to him, you know, as a moral compass to like the entire university, or is it just his job to win football games and coach? I'm not sure. It, it, I, you know, here I am, the middle guy again, right? I have to have to say that I'm middle kind of Ted? I'm kind of in the middle a little bit, but here's how I see it: you can't, you cannot be a hundred percent responsible for what people do on their personal time. He, you know, the coach got fired, right? I mean, look at it. Look at if if, if your boss, uh, if your boss was was running you and and you beat up your wife or whatever, would he lose his job? You would lose your job, but he he wouldn't lose his, would he? I, I don't. I'm also in a the gr- real world. I could, I could do something very small, and I'd be gone in a second. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a good comparison. I, I don't but. know. I don't know. You know, does he have some culpability? Yeah. But but is it fireable after this week of thinking about? It? I don't think so. How about you, Matt? I think there are certain coaches that are bigger than their universities, and I think Urban Meyer is one of them. I think Tom Izzo clearly is one at Michigan State. I think Nick Saban obviously is the perfect example. Mm-hmm. And I think Joe, Joe Paterno was one at Penn State. That I do think these guys are responsible for this stuff. These guys make so much money for the university. Obviously, Trestle was making a ton of money for Ohio State too, but not every coach does that. I mean, John Cooper before those guys was not winning at Ohio State. So these guys come in and start winning national championships and Big Ten championships. They're bigger than the university. So, yes, there, there is a side that you, you don't know what all your coaches and players are doing on their personal time, you know, behind closed doors. So you, you can't know everything that is going on. But when stuff like this comes to your attention, you have to take ownership and you have to have control of your, uh, your program because it's going to fall back on you. You know it's going to fall back on you. If you're like some low-level coach, then maybe not. But when you're an Urban Meyer, when you're a Dabo Sweeney, when you're a Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh is the same way. You, you've got to take control because the other side of it, too, is when, when things are going good, when all your, when all your uh, student-athletes are graduating and getting jobs and, you know, you're doing well, they give all the coach all the credit then when, when all the student-athletes are stand-up citizens and stuff like that. Oh, he, he's, he's molding great young men and doing all this stuff. So he gets the credit when it goes well. But when things go bad, they want to back out and say they didn't know. You know, I can see your point on that. Uh, but like Ryan was talking about, you know, the head coach is really the CEO. Well, he does answer to somebody. He answers to the athletic director. The athletic director answers to the, the university president, right? So if Urban Meyer, again, I'm, I'm speculating, if he did, okay, he got the report, 
that his assistant coach was beating up his wife again. And he went directly to Gene Smith, and we don't know how those how that conversation went. At that point, should he have should he have just flat out fired Smith or fired the assistant? What, what's his name again? I guess that's yeah, Zach Smith. Yeah, I guess that were. I mean, you you have no idea who knows what and all that kind of stuff. So it is kind of a, I don't know, a difficult situation. But right. I think if if Urban Meyer thought that this happened and thought that there were grounds to fire him, which they did fire him, they ended up firing yeah. him. So they obviously believe it was a fireable offense. If Urban Meyer went to the AD and said, "You need to fire this coach," that coach would be fired. Okay, one final question: Is he keeping his job or is he getting fired? I think, I think we're going to see him on the sidelines this fall. I you do, know, too. You know, and you know a quote I love? He followed the proper channels. Right. He elevated the situation to the proper channels. I have no clue what it means. Sounds very smart. So it, yeah, put him through. That means he told his athletic director and said, I wiped my hands clean of it. I did what I was supposed to do. Right? Isn't that essentially what he did? No. And call me, call me old-fashioned here, or maybe this is kind of the view I thought you were going to have. You know, sort of the Bo Schembechler, leaders of men like approach when it came to uh, Urban Meyer and how coaches should you know interact with their team, and, yeah. and you weren't really that way. You were kind of on the fence about it. I, that just kind of surprised me. I thought you were for sure going to be that way. Yeah. Well, what, I'm I'm full of surprises, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> Can I? I, well, I got so I we me and uh, Ted Matt were we were riding home from our camping trip four hours, and I was like kind of dozing in and out. And this, I, this, this is either like the most psycho thing or the most patient, like just thing I've ever seen in my life. The whole way home, he was listening to like a hits radio station. He never changed it once. When the, <laughs> was, like, it the, was it the Sirius XM channel he it, was talking about? It was. He never, and you know that he didn't like probably half those songs that came on because they were. It was school. even like 2010 and <laughs> 12. Was, yeah, 13. it was into the 20. Yeah, the 20 to 12s and 13s. He didn't change it once. Just him. Everyone else was sleeping in the car. <laughs> just him, and he just was sitting there listening to. It. I, just, I don't know. I thought that was crazy. I was Maybe jamming, was man. <laughs> I was gonna ask. So you know, you talked about the camping trip and the cornhole championship and everything like that. How'd that go? Oh, Did you defend yourself? It was a debacle. Yeah, the cornhole uh, never happened. Well, the trophy. See, I wanted the trophy, and I was responsible for bringing it up. And we kind of crammed everything into the back of our car. And it actually got crushed. It, it, so that kind of <laughs> the trophy's destroyed. Yeah. Oh no! How'd that happen? People's enthusiasm was kind of gone after that. And we we, we could have we could spend about uh, forty five minutes talking about the weekend, including uh, a car accident, running into a deer. Nobody got hurt other than the deer, right, Jared? Yeah. And that was at the beginning of the weekend. So uh, let's just put it this way: we had all kinds of excitement, but again, a good time getting together with the fam. Well, that's good to hear. How was the weather? Good. Hot. Hot. Oh, yeah, it was. It was brutally hot. hot. I woke. I went I, to bed sweating. Uh, woke up in the middle of the night sweating. Woke up in the morning. This is the first time it's ever happened to me. I woke up in the morning, like, continuous sweat. Like, it was <laughs> like I just kept rolling through. It never stopped. You know, you don't normally get that in the way up north part of Michigan in the woods. But, man, it was sweltering. Yeah, that's one of the – were you guys tent camping? Some I of them was, were. Uh, I had air conditioning in my in my lodging. I was going to say that some of you had some AC, so people <laughs> were trying to come and, and sleep in your cabin or something? No, nobody I'm did. I had an extra bed even. Too tough. I, I don't do that. <laughs> One of those, though, when it's that hot, man, you just, you're not even getting in your sleeping bag or whatever. You're just laying. I mean, you're about to strip down buck naked and just sleep sweating oh. the whole night. That's Absol- terrible. Absolutely. Next up on the show, let's see what's going on again with uh, our good friend and athletic supporter, Jack Strap. Hey, guys. It's Jackie. How you doing? <laughs> good, Jackie. Welcome back. Good. Hopefully you're never disappointed when you hear me instead of old Jack. Preferable, actually. Yeah, I'm the softer one. <laughs> but, uh, hey, listen, guys, a lot of my, uh, few of my girlfriends actually listen to the podcast, and they like my poetry, so I, I thought maybe I'd come on every once in a while and share my poems with you. So I wrote a poem about the football season because us women get excited about that too. Sure. So here we go. I love football, NFL or college. I'm growing each year in my football IQ of knowledge. I love watching men in tight pants. I'm not a big fan of Jimmy Nance. Eggplant or Jack in gray sweatpants. Especially when they're not laundered, by the way. I love Jim Harbaugh in his khaki pants. Sideline rants and Jack's private implant. My fantasy quarterback was Joe Namath or Craig Morton. Uh, I'd rather kiss Jack than kiss Johnny U or Kyle Horton. NFL teams now have men dancers to entertain us ladies. 
I love my Lions and Matthew Stafford, even though he's no Tom Brady. I can still hear the roar of the crowd and screams and applause. I've been watching football, guys, since 72 when I screamed menopause. <laughs> so get ready for the hits, the blitz, the kicks, and the men who are built like bricks. Every commercial, I stare at Jack and turn away quick because he's a hick and his arms are like sticks, not bricks. But Jack and I are bonded as we eat and watch TV, uh, football with our $5 meal. And uh, I long for the day when NFL players feel that it's no longer right to kneel. Hey, hey guys, how you doing? Good, good, Jack. Jackie was on a roll. I'll tell you right now, she's talking about private implants, and I feel like right now I want to plant a, uh, plant a kiss on her because, <laughs> hey, you know what? Not many women can tolerate me, and uh, she's the one sitting next to me during the whole football season, and, uh, you know, she's going to sit with me all the way through Super Bowl Sunday. That's a lot of football. Hopefully you got ladies in your life willing to sit there with you. Uh, mine does every week. We look forward to it. It's uh, funny that she mentioned in her little uh, stupid poem about uh, <laughs> the NFL players taking a knee, and I know everybody's sick and tired of it, but hey, you know, it's it's on the news, it's in the news, and this week I read Jim Brown, yes, the Jim Brown, who uh, Barry Sanders' father think is the greatest running back of all time. He was quoted as saying, I'll never kneel. And I'll always respect the flag. I'm not going to denigrate my flag, and I'm going to stand for the national anthem. I'm fighting with all my strength to make it a better country. But I don't think that's the issue. This is our country, man. Anyway, I tell you what, I have a lot of respect for him, and I voice my opinion, as I said many, many times in this podcast, but somehow I feel with all the divisiveness in this country that if you're a white man and you say you're opposed to the players kneeling, you could be labeled a racist. But again, as I've said many times, guys, it's not anything to do with black and white. It's wrong and right. But anyway, Jim Brown has a great reputation of swimming upstream, and so I really, uh, really appreciate what he said because uh, that took some cojones for him to say that. But uh, hey, on a lighter note, guys, uh, uh, this this past week I read an article about old men from Germany who escaped a nursing home and streaked to a rock concert. Did you guys hear about that? I did. I think that was, I, I don't think that was proven to be true, though, but go ahead. Well, it is, uh, even if it's not true, it created a funny image in my mind. <laughs> I bet they left a brown streak all the way to the show. It must have been horrible for security, uh, who was assigned to tackle them before they got on the stage. But uh, the old men guys running naked to a Barbara Streisand concert, but I can picture myself running pretty fast away from one. But, uh, Anyway, guys, uh, last comment on baseball. You guys know that I'm an avid Tiger, Lion, Piston, Red Wing, and Wolverine fan. And I like Michigan State, too. I'm not afraid to say that. But as a lover of sports and competition, guys, I love rivalry. And who did not love the old Steeler Raider rivalry back in the 70s or the Lakers Celtics of the 80s? And in baseball... Even though I love the Detroit Tigers, guys, I have always loved the Yankees and Red Sox rivalry. And recently, the hot 81 and 34 Red Sox swept the second-place Yankees, and the first pitch in the series by Yankee pitcher Goose Gossage was a head buzzer thrown at Red Sox leadoff man Mookie Betts. And you can bet that I was glued to my TV for the next several games. But uh, the Red Sox owned the Yankees. But, uh, but anyway, guys, I just wanted to share. That's what I think of the Red Sox-Yankees. I could watch that every time they play. That is a great rivalry, without a doubt. Well, guys, speaking of rivals, i got to go uh, meet my old friend Tyrone at Crona's Rival Sports Bar for a few beers and a burger. I met Tyrone back in Flint in the early 60s while working at Chevrolet Motor Division. And uh, I hope you don't mind. He'd like to be on the show one of these weeks. He said he has a lot of opinions this year, and he loves listening to you guys. Well, maybe we'll catch up with you both over at Rivals later on, all right? All right, guys. Hey, have a great night. See you, Jack. Well, Jack was talking about Rivals. Let's tell you a little bit more about Rivals Tap House and Grill. That's the spot to meet up with all your friends, including Jack and Tyrone. Catch your favorite sporting events on their 21 TVs, weekly food and drink specials, including tremendous burgers, wings, and pizza, along with homemade soup and salad. That's Rivals Tap House and Grill, located on the corner of Shiawassee at M21 in Corona. Hey, before we wrap up the show, guys, 
I also want to bring up the fact that uh, we had a pretty good topic last week about the highlight film. And uh, we had some decent responses on Twitter. In fact, uh, Jared, your brother, he uh, he sticks along with a, a Tavon Austin, right? His high school highlights is they are incredible. Barna, hands down, number one. He says in his tweet, he mentions Chris Johnson uh, at ECU. That's an incredible one, uh, and that's because he has his own like purple, like it's a ECU like purple and gold like rap song specifically made for that highlight video. Really, that is pretty amazing. Well, Cody Paul, now tell me who he is and what's Make It Rain. You got to look that guy up. Okay, he was like a middle schooler, just. He was pegged as like the next Reggie Bush white kid. Yeah, uh, I can't. It's impossible to describe his moves. You just have to watch that okay. highlight video. John Wall in high school. Apparently, he had a quite the highlight reel. That one about that Wall's familiar. High school highlight film is is pretty sick. <laughs> and then a quill. Is this how you say it? A quill car. A kill car. A kill car. A car. His I, I high school film is pretty good too. Well, I you guess. know what? He's got the best nickname ever. Have you ever heard of him? Uh. Uh-uh. The Baltimore. So let me just explain it real quick. He's called the Baltimore Crime Stopper because when he was in high school. <laughs> When, he, when his team would play, uh, the crime rate in Baltimore would go down because everyone was at the game. Ah, sweet. That's good to know. Uh, also, our longtime listener, Miggy Incognito, at Incognito Miggy, he, uh, he mentioned Billy Sims. I don't think we talked about Billy Sims last week, did we? No, we didn't. That, that would definitely be a good one to bring up. Yeah, it's too bad his he blew out his knee relatively early in his pro career, but he was fantastic. Uh, let's see, who else do we have? Miggy uh, White Chocolate, Jason Williams. Uh, yeah, Jason Williams, man. I, I've kind of I I would have brought him up if I I forgot, but he man, he was like back in that and one era when those dudes like uh, the professor and skip to my Lou. I don't know. That was before Jared's time, but no, I, but yeah, with Jason Williams, he he'd be a good one. So we used to when back before we had TV and Netflix and everything. Me and my brother used to like we had DVDs is what we would watch. Like we had a TV in our room, <laughs> and I remember my brother's once went to a basketball game and they bought like an and one mixtape, just like an hour long like highlights oh, with like sweet. music behind it. Watched it a few nights like every year. Great, it was a great film. So it's not quite out of my uh, time, Matt. But. Okay. Also, also, Miggy said Dominique Wilkins, the human highlight film. He was pretty fantastic. I mean, I had a few on my list I didn't get a chance to last week because I forgot to bring my list. Uh, Dr. J, we didn't talk about him. He was unbelievable. Uh, Now, is that just the one, like, layup play, or is that? Oh, no. If you look back at his ABA career, some of the fantastic drives to the basket and, you know, circus shots you check it out on youtube look up dr j and i had a, f- a few others there but how, one i think you might appreciate michael vick Electric. it's just it's tough for nfls because you know the players are much better it's the highlights just aren't as good as you know a college one I would right say. for right. me personally so that's why i had to leave him off okay that's that's what i come back to with the old uh, nba guys dr j definitely had some pretty wild like some pretty awesome moves and uh, I know Pistol Pete, he, he still, his, his highlights would still hold up to today's game. But I just always go back to, like, some of this stuff that people, like, make a fuss about and go, go crazy about with these Jordan stuff that Jordan used to do or even Dr. J. Like, we see this on a nightly basis almost in the NBA now. Like, yeah. I, I know at the time it was a big deal and it was awesome, but we're kind uh, of sp- I'm not going to go head over heels for it. Yeah, we're kind of spoiled. I, I get what you're saying, but I, you lost me on the Michael Jordan. Michael, Michael Jordan highlight. I could watch those. You know, I, I find, if I stumble into that rabbit hole on YouTube, I cancel my night. <laughs> no, I, he, he's legit. He, he definitely is up there. But but some of the dunks that he does or, or did that people still, like, go crazy over, I'm like, there's, like, there's like scrubs in the NBA that do that. It was the flying motion, Matt. That's what made it so awesome. Yeah, that's I for guess. sure. He Maybe, could fly. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just going to be a forever uh, Jordan hater. Yeah. All right, guys. That's all I have. Do you got anything you want to wrap it up with? I don't think so. You got something, Jared? Uh, R.I.P. Crocs. They're closing down the factories. I used to wear those in like middle school. <laughs> kind of not a, not a, not a good personal move for me back then. I did, so. I did see you Crocs were, were going away. Stinky Crocs. Didn't your brother almost burn down the house? Yeah, no, he burnt. Yeah, he he was sick of me wearing them, so he just took them and burnt them in the garage. In the garage with gasoline. With gas. <laughs> only only time I ever legitimately wore Crocs. I I never wore them, but uh, Bud Bash. I definitely was not oh, about to walk around God. Bud Bash uh, barefoot. No way. Crocs were clutch during that during that time. You probably so, yeah, didn't are you have a go to Bud Bash, Jared. I know we talked about it. Well, it was uh, it was it was this past weekend. Oh yeah, yeah. So it I was wasn't this able past weekend, go. right? I, I had it. I was in, you know when you press interested on Facebook, I pressed it on that, but it just happened to be the same weekend, so I couldn't go. Ah. I had a couple of buddies that were up there though this whole weekend, so they were loving it. Nice. 
All right, guys, let's call it a pod, all right? Uh, to all our listeners, uh, I think hopefully you enjoyed this one. Share this pod with all your friends. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcast on your iPhone. While you're there, rate us. Give us a comment or two on the podcast page. You can also check us out on SoundCloud or TuneIn. Whichever site you listen to, we really, really appreciate it. You can email us at threepointpod at gmail.com. Send us a, any list ideas you'd like to see us get into. Since we have the three-generation looks at things, give us some ideas on some things you want us to throw out there, kind of like the highlight film thing. That that was a good one. You can tweet me at Z92.5SportsGuy. Matt's at BurnZ381. And at Jared Patel. Of course, you can hit Jackstrap even at Jackstrap88. We want to thank our sponsors, Rivals Tap House and Grill, the Corona Connection, Z92.5, the Castle. A real special thanks to Ryan McGee. He's at a lot of different spots. You can follow him on Twitter, though, for sure, at ESPN McGee. Um, we got a big show coming up here. I think we're going to air it somewhere around August 21st, our prep preview show. We're working on getting some sponsorship for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be talking with a lot of media people from throughout the state. We've made connections with the MHSAA, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that, and Matt, you're going to have your hands full putting that one together. No, I'm looking forward to it. That's the stuff I live for right there. That's going to be fun. Yeah, we're going to have a blast with that. And just a reminder, this has been a Sportsnet Michigan production. Until next time, thanks for listening to Three Point Podcast.